Welcome to Mountain Mama's Misadventures, stories of mishap and adventure from women adventurers. Every woman has a story she can share, from the zany to the inspirational. Brought to you by Mountain Mamas, a nonprofit women's adventure organization. Women empowering women to adventure. My name is Emily Hecken. And I'm Deborah Moore, and we are your hosts. And today, for episode seven, we are welcoming Miss Jenny. She is from Springville, originally from Afton, Wyoming. And this woman, I think, is so cool. I've heard. I've heard whispers of you from other people, of your coolness. Good, good whispers. <laughs> um, she's married. She's got three kids. Um, her current occupation is she is a professional student True. and then an SAHM. Tell us what that is. A, I get to stay home with my children. You are so lucky, lucky. Um, and then her fun fact about her, she's always planning her next vacation. So... I wanted to, she's going to share some stories about her travels and journeys from afar. Um, first off, you served a church mission where? Yeah, I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm -hmm. in Madagascar. And oh. previous to my mission, I never really had any desire to travel to Africa. Not that I had anything against it, but I had traveled a lot to Europe. And so, like, Europe was on my radar and on my bucket list. So when I received my mission call, for multiple reasons, it was kind of a shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I still remember vividly, like, coming off the airplane and, like, the humidity and the heat just hitting me and all the sights and the sounds and the smells and then just feeling so emotional and sobbing because I just immediately fell in love with the people and the land. Wow. So that was intense. But so I was there for only, like, two and a half months when there was a civil war and all the missionaries were emergency evacuated to... Uh, the Johannesburg South Africa mission oh and goodness. so they weren't obviously expecting to absorb all these missionaries so they didn't know really what to do with us so we jumped around for a, a lot and and when you say jumped around for the listeners who maybe aren't familiar you mean you went from one section of Johannesburg to another or what yeah, do you mean? yeah they just didn't know what to do with us so we would stay at this house for a week and then we go to this house and then we go to this area and this and so we did that for a little while before well, they found my place. I ended up in Botswana, and so I was there for six or seven months before going back to Johannesburg for a couple of weeks and then ending up back in Madagascar. So I ended up spending as much time outside of Madagascar as in Madagascar. Mm. So I have to tell you, everyone loves Madagascar, I think. Uh, yeah. What language do they speak? What are some of the things that really set those people apart? Um, they speak Malagasy. It's just a language native to Madagascar. It's a Malayo-Indonesian language, so the most similar language to it is maybe what you would hear in the Philippines. And so, long words, lots of vowels, mm -hmm. very cool. Uh, all the pictures I've ever seen, it is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, it is one of the most impoverished uh, countries yeah. in the entire world, um, even in comparison to a lot of countries within Africa, but it's yeah. definitely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, is there any experience or maybe people, a story of somebody that you met that really just sticks out and it just, that was a big deal to me in Madagascar or, or when I was in South them. Africa. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Well, being in Botswana opened my eyes to the HIV AIDS epidemic and it started this little flame inside my soul of wanting to do something to give back or to educate or somehow get involved and so um, 
know how much detail to show you. <laughs> no, no, you've got plenty of time. So anyway, um, so towards the end of my mission, I had a little heart-to-heart -heart with my mission president, and he was talking about, well, what does life after the mission look like? And I was like, I have no idea. I haven't really thought about it. And he was the one that said, I feel inspired to tell you that you need to go back to school and specifically to BYU. And honestly, I threw up a little bit in my mouth because I had <laughs> never had any desire to go to BYU. That was not And BYU is Brigham Young University. It's Correct. a university in Utah. Yep. <laughs> a church university. Uh -huh. Yeah. Correct. And so I had gone to college, university before my mission and graduated and had a professional job and was working um, before going to Madagascar. So going back to school was not on my radar. Mm. But then I thought, you know, what's the harm in applying? So I applied and got in and decided, well, what have I got to lose? And so um, just all the experiences that I had on my mission, I felt like maybe I'm supposed to go into international relations or international business. So I started with that, but it didn't feel right. And so then I thought, well, okay, maybe this HIV AIDS thing, maybe I need to get into public health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tried some public health classes, but that didn't fit. So I thought maybe it's social work that I need to do. So I tried that. Anyway, I ended up settling on child development with a minor in sociocultural anthropology. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Yeah, because that's, mm -hmm. you just threw a lot of <laughs> college words our way. It's the study of living cultures. You know, so like an anthropologist will study cultures who have passed oh, okay. on, yeah. but a sociocultural anthropologist is studying a current culture. Oh. So they're the ones that go and live among, you know, a, a village and learn about their language and their food and their traditions and anyway. So, so yeah, so that felt like a good fit. And then um, being at BYU opened up a ton of doors for me. Like it introduced me to so many people and I volunteered with so many organizations and I was involved in different nonprofits and doing all kinds of service projects and had lots of cool roommates. And one of them, she was getting her master's in public health and she was supposed to go on a humanitarian aid mission to Ethiopia. Mm -hmm but she didn't feel settled about it up until even two weeks before she was supposed to go. She's like, I just, I, for some reason, I'm not supposed to go. Would you be willing to go in my place? <laughs> um, yes, please. Really? Wow. <laughs> and so um, I got a crash course in a program called Stay Alive, which is an international program that teaches nine to 14 year olds the importance of making good life choices before coming sexually active. Mm, okay. And so, since I didn't have a lot of medical training, that was what I was going to do on this mission, is do the Stay Alive program with the help of an interpreter. So we flew into capital city of Ethiopia and then drove out like 100 miles, and we're like in the middle of nowhere. Like what does it look like out there? Dry, flat, dusty, you know, nothing was living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the, the point of where we were at, it was centrally located to a lot of different villages that they knew had a lot of medical need. And so we had people who had walked a couple of hours to see us and some who had walked a couple of days to come and see us. Wow. And I think they underestimated the medical need. And so I didn't very do very much with the stay alive. I ended up doing more medical assisting. Mm -hmm. And um, and you've heard this, Emily, but uh -huh. the most crazy thing that we saw. This, um, I don't know how old he was, maybe in his 30s, gentleman, who had been complaining about serious migraines. Uh -huh. And the village elder or village doctor 
had recommended that he drill a hole in the back of his skull to relieve the pressure. And so when we saw him, he had a hole about the size of a softball in the back of his head and his brain was exposed. Oh, man. And I think, I don't remember the doctor's reaction, but I'm sure they were just like, we are ill-equipped for this. Like, yeah, it's like, how do you do that? <laughs> we can't like surgically implant a metal plate. We just don't have that with us, you know? And so I just remember we cleaned the wound and wrapped him and then sent him on his way. Uh, but I saw so many interesting things while we were there. And was that like, did, would he ever have follow-up? What were your thoughts as no, you just watched him go away? Yeah, it was just like, you know, good luck. Let's, I wonder how much longer you're going to live. I, you know, we don't, we didn't know. Yeah. No uh, idea what it's got to be heartbreaking. Yeah. But it was super intense and I learned a lot. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go into medical assisting or, you know, like mm -hmm. it just continued to, f to fuel this flame of love for Africa and wanting to give back. And what am I going to do? What's my purpose? What's my mission? Yeah. So as soon as I got back to Provo, <laughs> BYU, I was like, okay, I got to plan my next trip. <laughs> how am I going to get back? And so as my degree was wrapping up, I knew I wanted to do a study abroad or an internship in mm -hmm. South Africa. And so I approached my academic advisor and she's like, there is nothing like that available. Hmm. And I said, well, then I'm going to make something available. And she's like, well, we don't really do that. You know, there's a lot of hoops you'd have to jump through. Anyway, so I ended up writing a lot of proposals and jumping through a lot of hoops and talking to a lot of people and taking a lot of extra classes. Like one of them I remember, um, he was a retired Navy SEAL and he taught me a self-defense class because the thing that BYU kept saying is you're going to be a liability for the university going to South Africa as a single white female. Ah, like, oh, so that was the... Okay. I served a mission there. I know what I was doing. <laughs> like I, I know just trust me on this mm -hmm. yeah you're like I survived this but it took a lot of convincing and so when well, I had met a guy through some friends on my mission who was from South Africa who had graduated law school at BYU and was practicing law for the church in South Africa and so I reconnected with him and I'm like hey can you help me out can you give me some leads and so um, so yeah he helped me find a host family and they had a car that they let me drive but, so I went out there in like early August and followed up on a couple of leads that he gave me and just drove around until I found somewhere that I felt good about and that they were willing to let this chick from America who thought they <laughs> so knew you didn't know where you were going to live before you got there? Mm -mm. Oh, goodness. I had no idea what my internship was going to be. I was just like, man, no big deal. I got this. <laughs> and everyone else around me and my parents were like, you're nuts. But my uh -huh. parents have learned not to mess with me when I have something in, <laughs> in my head. Like, what gave you that, that confidence, that strength to just go for it, that hoodsbut, you know? I don't know. I mean, I guess it was, I don't, I don't know, just having been there, you know, missionaries, when they come home from their missions, they're pretty, you know, confident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think I was still riding on that, like, I'm invincible. Nothing will happen to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you're still like, <coughs> a little younger too, and it, you can still feel like... In your twenties, yeah, yeah, yeah. the world on, yeah. which is a great, great thing, and a great thing for <laughs> when we're not in our twenties to remember, like, oh, we do have that; we can access that. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but yeah. So, how did you find somewhere to live? And and so, yeah. So, this family they had like a little, um, oh, what do they call it? So, a lot of people in South Africa, or even in Madagascar, will have. Um, like maids or nannies who may live with them or they'll live 
you know, off the property. But if they live with them and they have like a little separate outhouse that's not adjoined to their house. Anyway, so this family, they didn't have a nanny or a maid living with them at the time. And so their house was sitting empty. And so they're like, you can have us. So it was really teeny. Was how, like, did you, wait, how did you just find this family, though? Through the guy. Oh, the I guy. Know. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I've talked to them. And they said, <coughs> yeah, you're welcome to. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't know if this is a coincidence, but I had ended up, when I was on my mission, I had served in their ward for like a week. Mm-hmm. Like their congregation? Yeah. yeah the congregation area? Yeah. Right. And so I don't remember them from when I was there before, but obviously I got to know them better and spent a lot of time in the ward and mm-hmm. got to know a lot of people. But so so yeah, it was through church. That that's that nice. Okay. That's nice. And so yeah, they had a car that they let me drive, and so I just drove around, and it, that took some getting used to driving on the other side of the car. And I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was there in South Africa. Um, Starting at dusk, if you're a woman driving alone, you're allowed to just yield at stoplights. And not mm-hmm. stop? You mm-hmm. just go through? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So things <coughs> like that like took some getting used to. And I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was there, they had a lot of incidences of, they call them smash and grabs, where a lot of the homeless people will stop you at, well, what, when you're stopped at the stoplight, they'll come and they'll bash your window in and take your purse or whatever mm-hmm. from you. So that was like some of the self-defense nice. stuff that I had to learn from the Navy SEAL guys, how to protect and defend myself in case that happens. And so he taught me tricks like never keep your purse up on your seat, always keep it underneath your seat. And mm-hmm. anyway, stuff that I still do now. <laughs> yes! like yeah. to be safe. I don't know. Not I had to make yourself a target. Yeah. I'm from Philly, and she's. I'm sure that would have been very useful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just taught me little tricks like that, not to stand out. Or Did you ever have epi- incidences where you felt you were in danger? <clears throat> Again, I was just like so naive and like confident. <laughs> Whatever. You, you <laughs> yeah. know, there's a power in confidence, though. Really, where I feel like the way that you even have your posture and everything as you're walking from one place to another, right. it, it it does genuinely detract people who might want to prey on someone who is sure. otherwise, you know, seeming really small and it, it, as far as not physically small, but just like rounding shoulders, looking down, might not notice anything, but. Yeah, so I could even see that, like you said. You're giving that confidence as well. Well, and even on my mission, like when we got off the airplane and had our first meeting with our mission president, so he had worked for the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Mm -hmm. So he had traveled all over and had lots of tips and tricks himself. And so he just taught us as females to always like keep your arms up, you know, ready to punch if you needed to, Uh and always at our side. And so just even as a missionary, we were always on guard ready to punch somebody if they tried to touch us a little too friendly or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just figured, I just figured that was normal. That's just the way you live and you survive. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, after I left Madagascar, there was a sister who was attacked and then that mission president wasn't as okay with sisters being so aggressive. Oh, <laughs> and no. Anyway, long story short, sisters are no longer <coughs> able to serve in Madagascar. I think for a while they did allow some native sisters. Oh, but even still, right now, they yeah, don't. Yeah, women aren't allowed there anymore. Oh, so it's a shame. Yeah, just for a small period of time. So I feel really blessed. But Yeah. But I guess going back to the South Africa thing, so, um, so yeah, so I found this place, and I approached them, and I'm like, hey, can I live here and work for you for, like, eight months? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, for free? Sure, okay. <laughs> so, um, so I did a little bit of everything. So like I said, it was an AIDS hospice and a children's home, or maybe I forgot 
say that. Yeah, yeah. So where are you working at? What place did you find to work? Um, it was called Sparrow Rainbow Village. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, they had little kids, all the way up to adults who were there, either on hospice or just because, I'm sure it's still this way, but there's a lot of stigma attached to being HIV positive and or having AIDS. And so mm -hmm. a lot of people were abandoned or abused and had nowhere else to go. Yeah. yeah. And so there were all ages and all types of people there. But so I did everything from like, giving medication to the little babies and rocking them and loving on them. Or um, I worked with the developmentally delayed toddlers. I did after school tutoring with elementary age kids. And then from the Stay Alive program that I learned with Ethiopia, I kind of merged it with some stuff that I learned through my child development and did like a life skills class with uh -huh. them. So we talked everything from, you know, sex ed to anything with relationships or uh -huh. just how to communicate with people. And then I awesome. um, also did some like administrative stuff, ordered supplies, um, did some fundraising, helped try to solicit donors. So a little bit of everything, it was really cool. Mm -hmm. But what kind of, I want to, what kind of building, was it like a hospital? Was it like a, like a dormitory? What did it look like? And what would it look like in comparison to what maybe, you know, like what we're used to, of course? It's. There's nothing like this anywhere else. <laughs> um, they were in little dorm, well, houses that look like domes, so kind of like an igloo. Uh -huh. And they were not always separated by age. Sometimes they were separated by family because there were often siblings that were there. Mm -hmm. And then they had somebody called like a house mother who was, again, like a nanny or a maid that either lived on site or had her own family, but then just came every day to take care of these kids. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of like their surrogate mom. Mm -hmm. So she would get them up, get them dressed, get them out the door to school, and then she'd be there when they got home. Mm -hmm. And so they'd have, I don't even remember how many of those little domes there were. And then they had like the main one where like the babies were and the administration, and then a separate one for like the adults. And so, yeah, you'd, you'd have to look it up online and look at wow. it, just these unique domes. Oh, and in the middle they had um, like a big playground for the kids and there was a separate one that we had just for after school tutoring so it was like a library and it had desks and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a really unique place. But the hardest thing was definitely having just, you know, cuddled on this little baby all day or holding hands with this older gentleman know all day just talking listening to him and then coming back the next day and having found out that they had passed away during the night oh wow and so that happened enough times that it got to the point where I could sort of sense when the end was coming and it's a really spiritual experience to be with someone towards the end of their life when you can absolutely feel that separation happening so that was really cool well cut what did it feel like <clears throat> okay. I mean I'm sure something like that's probably hard to put in yeah, words but as best as you can I don't know, you can just feel like there's a special presence there and you can just, I don't know how to explain it, <laughs> but you can just feel like that the end is near, that they're they are leaving their body, that they're sensing that the next step is coming. Uh -huh. I don't know, you can just feel. That's like, so kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing that you're able to be be there knowing that like, even, even though it is their last moments here, yeah. that, you know, that they get to be loved Right. And know that they're, you know, cared for and loved in those last moments. Yeah, when no one else has been. Yeah. You know, there's so much shame attached. Um, so, yeah, so that was really cool. And then, like, when I left, when I was getting ready to leave, I just remember, like, those last moments, the teenagers were gathered around me, and they were holding my hands and hugging and crying and laughing and asked me when I was going to be back. And 
probably the most rewarding part of the whole experience was then when I was with them and several of them were saying things like, no one has ever loved us the way you have loved us. No one has ever believed in us the way you have believed in us. Mm. Oh. So that was special. Yeah, and, and bittersweet, I'm sure, too. Yeah. Oh. And it's been cool because I've stayed in contact with several of them. Oh. And so, so it's been cool to see them grow up and get married and start their own families. Yeah. And, and one, oh, one guy in particular sweet. that I have in my mind, he... Um, He's a public speaker now, and he is an AIDS activist and advocate, and anyway, it's just really cool to see how he's blossomed. And not that I did anything to, you know, but, you got to but just to be a part of his life and see yeah. those kids grow up and to be their big sister, you know, to have someone who cared about them. And yeah. Anyway, it was really rewarding. Oh, that's really neat, and yeah, where he's able to continue to share that information and to spread that. and. The ripple effect that you created while you were there and that they create as well you know whether you see it that way or not but really um you, you don't always know where all those ripples go but that they spread out and and same thing with what he's you know his public speaker what he's able to do who he touches um i think that's just amazing that is beautiful yeah yeah it was cool what would be your take home like something that really just you know that you would like to share with the women that you learned from that time there? I, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, because being there also opened up a lot of doors and I was offered a job working for the CDC doing AIDS research in Botswana. And I'm like, this is my dream job. Yeah. But it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I ended up coming home and reconnecting with my now husband who I'd gone on a blind date with before <laughs> the summer before I went to South Africa. And so mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like my life didn't take the path that I thought it was going to, but mm -hmm. I have no regrets. Like mm -hmm. I love everything that happened. It's influenced who I am today and it continues to influence my kids. I don't know, mm -hmm. but I just, I don't know, just I'm along for the ride and I'm just letting it go wherever it takes me and I'm just loving every minute of it. Mm -hmm. So no regrets. Well, and I would say, even when you say like you're <laughs> along for the ride there, it's definitely not a passive thing. You, you were saying several times um, how you would, with that feel so uh, the logic might say this is my dream job this is where I stick or the logic might have said okay this is what I learned on my mission so this is the career I should choose but that time and time again you instead were like yes and yet this is not what it feels okay let's try this this is not um and so I think that's really neat too that, that reminder that we can and should be willing to listen to that that part that maybe you can't define to a friend or a parent or whoever um, as far as why but yet you just feel like this is either the right thing or this is not the right thing for where I am absolutely and I think I've learned traveling too is people are beautiful and amazing wherever you go mm -hmm. you know it's so cool that you know you can go to a beautiful place like South Africa or Madagascar or Botswana or wherever and and there are people there that are just like at home. You know, you have these mm -hmm. loving mothers and you have like the cranky old guy or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the cutest children just love with all their hearts. And, you know, it's just people are people no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And the connection that you made with them and that they made with you just like you hold on to those. Those are important mm -hmm. connections. You weren't just some person who came through like your soul's connected and like that's that's worth something you know and I think that's something you take with you forever well that's something that I really try to emphasize with my kids like 
I want to give them experiences over things. I want them to go places. I want them to meet people. I want them to try different kinds of food. Mm -hmm. I want them to go to different churches. I want them to, you know, just see how much is out there and learn and grow and appreciate all the things. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, see right there. Yeah, that experiences over things is so beautiful, so pivotal. Um, And it's something we remember really well. (laughs) Well, we are so grateful, Jenny, that you came today. This has been, these are stories that I've heard little whispers of around the campfire on trips, <laughs> and I've never heard like the whole piece. So I'm so grateful that we were, you shared a part of all your experiences with us. Um, and that's it for today's adventure. So thank you so much, Jenny. And um, join us next time. And remember, ladies, a woman's place is in the mountains.